Confederacy of Dunces by John Kennedy Toole. We're only going to study chapter one of this text. And I do hope that because of its humorous nature that you are able to pick this up at a later date and continue it. But it's really important that we take our time to get to know Ignatius Riley. What John Kennedy Toole creates is not just a world where New Orleans is a character unto itself. It's a world where Ignatius Riley exists outside of a time period which he himself feels he's not meant to be in. What I mean by that is the way he interacts with people, the way he engages with society is one from a distance. He does not want to be an active member of it because of his own opinions, his judgments, and his ideas about how the world should work and how it flat out isn't working the way he sees it. He's a man who's educated. He's got a master's degree. He, as we saw twice in the first chapter, he is someone who went on one job interview in Baton Rouge that goes terribly before scurrying back to New Orleans. But as we can see in both that interview scene, the arrest scene, the bar scene, that wherever Ignatius goes, disaster in many ways follows, even though he's completely oblivious to it. He himself remains unscathed, even if he feels like he's emotionally disturbed and distressed by what occurs. The people around him tend to suffer. There's an element to him where Ignatius represents the art of getting carried away. Everything's dramatic. Everything's too much for him. But the physical punishments, the people who take the brunt of his existence are the people around him. We see that with the old man, Claude, who gets arrested. We see that with policeman, uh, patrolman Mancuso later on in the text. And we'll talk a little bit about his role in the first chapter. That it's ultimately everyone who interacts with him gets punished in some way. While he sort of, by just being oblivious to his surroundings and his actions with others, continues on with his existence. Ignatius is incredibly judgmental. Even that first paragraph, when we meet him just the very first time, he's outside of a department store looking at outfits while his mother is inside of the store. And remember, he's a 30-year-old man who's tied at the hip to his mom, which is a whole other conversation we'll talk about here. But you have to remember what we're talking about here is he's judging these outfits and saying that these outfits, in many ways, these new outfits that are in this store reflect a lack of someone's soul. That people who would wear these outfits would be soulless. And he himself is wearing this ridiculous getup that works in function for him and for him only while making him look completely ridiculous to the rest of society. And that's who Ignatius is. He is someone who is living outside of the social norms. While people are trying to be accepting and accommodating, he's also incredibly abrasive, but doesn't seem to even know that he's being abrasive. He's out there saying his opinions, wanting to be taken care of and babied by his mother. But the world itself still has to interact with him. He has to be in this world. And New Orleans, as I mentioned earlier, is a character in this story. And we get glimpses of it in this first chapter. And it plays a bigger role 
as the text goes on. But we have to think about Ignatius is highly interested in being very philosophical. He mentions his, mentions that you're eating processed food in his eyes. Anything in a can damages the soul. He mentions these ideas that people and how they dress and how they behave, things are falling apart. The seems society is broken in some way. And you have to ask yourself, what is Ignatius doing for society? He is someone who exists in it, but not by choice. And he's on the fringes and he's actually doing nothing but allowing everyone to take care of him, mainly his mother. There's a reference that she's no longer married. We do not know after chapter one whether the, the father is has left or has died. But we do know the relationship between mom and son is tight. So when she gets drunk at the bar, and prior to that, she's talking about having to bring home sodas for her son and treats for her son. We can see that there's a codependency here. And when she gets drunk and starts to cry at the bar that he's mean to her, which sets off a chain of events that ultimately ends with her drunk driving, smashing up a car, knocking down a light post, and Ignatius vomiting in a street corner. When, when patrolman Mancuso turns the corner for now the second time for the run-in with him, it sets up this hijinks that goes out throughout the novel. That the hurricane that is Ignatius Riley has no limits and sees no boundaries. He's a man here to judge others without ever looking back at himself. He's a man who's educated, but not socially educated. He's a man who seems not fit for this time period, but what time period would he fit into is a bigger question that we must ask. This story is very, very funny, and you pick that up right away in chapter one. The description of the characters within the bar, his mother mentioning that, hey, you got to stay for the show when they're basically in a strip club at this point in the evening. It's all there to be humorous. It's there to make you laugh, to see the ridiculousness of this man who wants no part of the world, but also is incredibly fearful of leaving New Orleans. And while he's existing in this world, he sucks people in to his atmosphere. And once they're into his world, once they're interacting with him, they seem to make bad decisions and get into trouble. The old man, Claude, being the first one, yelling at the policeman that he was a communist. And then getting arrested, sent to prison, and then only after he's, at the very end, does he admit, wow, yo, I'm really sorry for what I did, I got wound up. But that's what Ignatius does. He winds people up. He pulls people, there's a gravitational pull around Ignatius that allows everyone around him to catch all sorts of shrapnel from the explosions that take place metaphorically in his life. I hope you enjoy this first chapter. We're going to talk a little bit about the rest of the text to give you an idea. I I won't try to give it away because it's such a great book that you need to spend a lot of time on and potentially have multiple reads, which I know is not a strength of ours. But I want us to consider and think about the relationship between mom and son, not in a serious sense, but how they interact with each other in a humorous sense. Think about Ignatius as a 30-year-old, what he represents, where he should be in his life, where he is, and then tie that in with how he sees the world, how he expresses himself. He's so quick to judge other people. People are always judging him. And on that front, I think we have to say it's fair. 
human nature is a little bit to judge how we see things. It's how we recognize how we should behave with one another. This person is dressed or looks this way. Well, I'm going to behave this way. Whether that's right or wrong or not, it does set some parameters for expectations. Ignatius tries to play outside of those rules. He expects people to treat him a certain way while at the same time expecting consistency in other people. Well, he seems to be one of the most inconsistent characters that we're going to see. All right, so the inconsistency in behavior, we always ask each other, can you act consistently with all people regardless of how they look or behave? But it's human nature to kind of judge your surroundings, judge what's going on. So you got to put yourself in the, into the gravitational pull of Ignatius. How would you handle being around a man like this who's educated, who's funny, who's humorous, but lacks a self-awareness even to understand that how he's presenting himself is not exactly socially acceptable in wide varieties of social circles. But him not caring about that also is part of his charm. All right, so we're going to keep studying this book uh, for chapter one. Hopefully you enjoy it, and we'll keep going.